This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This week, the Clarets travelled to Leicester, hoping to put an end to Brendan Rodgers' 100% home record against the mighty Clarets. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast. I am your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week is regular panellist and one member of the first family of Burnley Football Club, Tom Whitaker. Tom, welcome, welcome. Evening, Natalie. Feels like it's been a long time since we've done a podcast, hasn't it? It certainly does. I mean, I was uh, we had the international break last week and I was away for the preview show, so I feel like I'm all new again i'm sure it will be fun i'm sure it's like riding a bicycle um we have got um not a massive amount to talk about this week actually it's probably going to be um, a relatively short podcast i think uh, but we are of course um looking back over the clarets defeat away at leicester at the weekend um, they fell to a controversial shall we say i don't think there's anybody who's going to disagree with that uh 2-1 loss away at the foxes um but it was a good performance and uh we were incredibly unlucky in the end so let's have a look at this game um and of course the talking point this week is going to be our friend var again because why wouldn't it be um but tom you traveled down to leicester at the weekend um generally speaking i thought it was a an all right performance actually i thought we competed well yeah, I think especially compared to the last two away games, Brighton and Villa, I think we played better than we did in either of those games. I think it's the better opponent as well. We stepped up um, well in the game for the for the whole 90 minutes. Uh, I know Leicester had a lot of the ball, but I don't think, apart from the goals, Nick Pope's had a massive amount to do. Uh, competed really well. Uh, I think the big difference this season, especially away from home, is we really look like we've got a goal in us. And uh, you really felt that on Saturday. I think perhaps the Brighton game. It, it came in dribs and drabs. Villa, there was quite a lot of that game where we were under the cosh and sitting back. But on Saturday, you always felt like we had a goal in us, whether it was nil-nil, whether we were 2-1 down. You always thought that we had that chance to to get something. And I think, yeah, it's probably the best away performance we've seen probably since uh, the first half at Wolves. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think that's um, a really valid point. I think... Daesh touched on this in his post-match interview. He took the positives from the game, the obviously the ridiculous shafting aside. Um, 
and he's sort of looking at that bigger picture and saying that we are a better side than we were this time last year in that, you know, we are improving, we can compete now in these games. Now, unfortunately, um, Leicester are also a much better side than they were this time last year. And I think it's fair to say that they are probably the third best side in the Premier League at the moment, in my opinion, anyway. Um but actually, I thought they were quite out of sorts in the first half. And I thought Burnley handled them really well. And it was perhaps easier than I expected it was going to be by half-time. Um, but, Tom, before we even got on the pitch, we were not rocked a little bit. But it was a frustrating news coming out of turf that we have now got to that regular, well, it feels regular anyway, phase of being injury hit. Um, before the game, we'd heard that uh, Goodmanson's going to be out for about six weeks with a hamstring. Actually, Barnes didn't make it as well. He had a groin strain, I think that was. Um, and Cork's still injured as well. So we had um, a bit of a different lineup with um, Jay Rodriguez starting up front with Wood and Brady coming into the side. So... I guess starting with Jay, Tom, um, how did you think he stepped up, not playing that um, three up front, but playing alongside Chris Wood in a 4-5-2? In a we didn't sneak an extra player on the pitch. In like a 4-4-2 or sometimes dropping back a bit into a 4-5-1, depending on the formation. Um, I think he did all right. How, how did you take that? Yeah, he didn't look out of place. He didn't look. Um, he, he stepped into the side like he'd been here a lot longer than he has for me. I think perhaps the problem for Jay on Saturday was we didn't have a lot of the ball. And I think he does his best work when he's getting balls into feet, when he's getting on the end of things. Um, I think that because we were sitting quite deep for a lot of the game or because we probably didn't have a lot of the ball in midfield, um, he's having to chase uh, big balls forward. He's having to chase the balls into the corners. And I think uh, in terms of the whole play, in terms of being back to goal at the minute, uh, Wood is doing that really well and I think that's more Barnes game than Rodriguez so I think perhaps uh, we did miss a little bit of Barnes's physicality a little bit of his uh, his mothering of the defenders um, he, we we got a lot of that from Wood so it perhaps didn't uh, impact on the team performance as much but I think perhaps it wasn't the ideal game for, for Jay to really show the, the skill set that he's got that sets him apart from Barnes and Wood for me. But I don't think he did bad. And um, when he did get on the ball, he made things happen. He put himself apart. He didn't shy away. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it was an encouraging performance. But I think there'll be games that he shines in more this season, definitely. Yeah, I would I would imagine so. And as we saw away at Villa, when he's able to come on and play with three up front, I think that's definitely where we, we've seen the best of him so far. That said, I thought he linked up with McNeil quite well, actually. There's some quite... Um, encouraging link-up play, I think. Certainly when they were creating chances. Yeah, that's true. I think it's one of McNeil's best games this season. And uh, I think that's probably a, a good point that um, you get a bit more of a link between the midfield and the attack when Rodriguez is playing as opposed to Barnes and Wood. So I think Rodriguez is a bit better with the ball at his feet than either of those two. And he's a bit more uh, probably creatively minded, I would say, than those two as well. Um, so... Yeah, I think probably one of McNeil's best games of the season. So probably fair to deduce that it was playing alongside Jay that probably brought a bit of that out of him as well. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I just personally think as well that regardless of, of what we do, I just think that McNeil plays better with Charlie Taylor in the team. Um, I think he'd started to try and get a little bit of build-up play and a bit of understanding with Peters, but I just, I much prefer having having him with uh, with Charlie Taylor on the pitch. Um, another start for Robbie Brady, who is somebody we've not seen for a while, Tom. Um, now, this is a difficult one because for some reason... Brady isn't that 
popular with a lot of Burnley fans. And we saw quite a lot of stick over the weekend. Basically, people just saying that we're a bit fed up with him now and he's a bit of a, um, a waste of money, a bit of a passenger. We just need to get rid. But I think what we were talking about off air, you're, you're feeling pretty confident. And, and I think you're giving him a bit of a break, really. I think you just want to see him play some games. Is that fair to say, Tom? Yeah, that sums it up for me. I think uh, I think Brady's really underrated, actually, by a lot of our fans. I, I think um, if you think back to when he, the last time that he was really fit and had a good run of games in the team, which was uh, the middle of the season that we got into Europe, um, the, the last couple of games he played before he got injured, which I think uh, was Bournemouth away on the Wednesday night. We won uh, 2-1, I think, and he, he scored a storming goal in that game. He had a fantastic game. Yeah, him and Defoe really ran that game. And he played really, really well. The, the game after that, actually, funnily enough, was Leicester away. Uh, that was the game that he got the big injury in. And he was playing really well before then as well. Um, I can understand why people criticise him to an extent because we definitely haven't seen anything like that sort of form from him since he's been back on the pitch. He's been back in dribs and drabs. He's had a lot of little niggly injuries on top of that big one that he got. But um, for me, he just needs a, a run. Um, and I think perhaps the injury to Goodmanson, like you said, he's going to be out for a few weeks now. It, it might prove to be a, a blessing in disguise for Brady if we can keep getting him on the pitch and getting starts 60, 70 minutes. I think we'll start to see the best of him again. I think when he was when he was in the team every week before, he linked up really well with Hendrick. Um, obviously, Defoe's gone now. He did link up well with him as well. But he's, uh, I think he's got a really good um, delivery of the left foot, perhaps... Um, don't need that as much now. McNeil's back, but I think uh, for me, Brady, I think um, he's he's a, as good as Goodmanson, uh, and I think if he does get a good run now, if he does get a few games under his belt and can stay fit, then I think we'll see the best of him again. And I think there's a little bit of an element of short memories. I think with some of our fans, with some of the criticism that I see him get, like I understand that he hasn't played well in the last year, but I don't think he's been horrendous and I think if you put it in context I think it's understandable that he's not captured his best form so I'm hoping and I'm looking forward to seeing him get a bit of a run in the team if Johan is injured and I think we'll start to see the best of him again. Yeah I certainly hope so I think he's been unlucky with injuries like you're saying and I think he's also struggled to hold down his place in the team because of that but I still think he's got the ability to create something in this league and I think he's got the ability to um, be that luxury player that we all want him to be. Um, and like you say, Tommy, that thing, Hendrick also seems to, to thrive a little bit more when Brady's on the pitch as well. So let's see what happens now um, with JBG being out for a while and, and see if, if that makes a difference. Because I think if, if in the next sort of three games or so he's still not quite rediscovered that spark, then I think perhaps question marks around his ability not ability slash performance are probably more justified than they are now I do find it quite interesting that when people when fans have been questioning the impact that Jay has had so far um very much the overwhelming feeling has been oh you know he's not been playing for a while it's a new team you've got to give him some time and he just needs games but that patience doesn't seem to be afforded to Brady and I feel like it both him and Brady and Hendrick sorry seem to be in this negative sphere with some fans I don't know I, I agree with you Tom I, I think uh, I think he will improve and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that improve in the next few weeks anyway um do we know why Charlie Taylor wasn't playing on Saturday by the way I don't I don't remember seeing anything pre-game um but obviously Peters was back at, at, at left back and I, I don't remember 
Um, I don't remember seeing anything as to why Taylor wasn't in the side. I suppose knowing Dyche, um, he's we know that he doesn't like to drop people unless he has to. I think everyone expected the way Peters went down and he went off against Everton. I think everyone was expecting that he was going to be out for a little bit of time and, mm. and that Taylor was going to get his chance. But um, yeah, I wasn't surprised that when it, when it came out that Peters was fit, I wasn't surprised to see him starting, to be honest. Yeah, it's down to a personal preference, really, but I was kind of disappointed. I think, as I was saying before, I much preferred Charlie Taylor playing with 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 um, McNeil, and I just it's I, I would quite like uh, I would quite like Charlie Taylor back in the side as soon as possible. But but never mind. Um, what do I know? Um, the other player spotlight to have a look at is is definitely our striker of the hour, Tom Chris Wood, as um, he had a, a barren first five games of the Premier League campaign and has now catapulted back into the limelight with um two goals two legitimate goals premier league um this weekend and he almost got a third as well there was that bounce that he just couldn't quite get his toe onto that Schmeichel managed to get out in the first half um but i think it's quite fair to say that he is certainly the man of the moment don't you think yeah i've been really really impressed with wood this season um i think the problem i always had with wood was that when he played on his own up front or when he was the number nine, the out-and-out leading striker. Uh, he, he's a little bit timid. He, he did allow himself to get bullied by centre-halves. I think the reason that he flourished with Barnes next to him initially was because Barnes was doing a lot of that dirty work for him, beating up the centre-halves, drawing them, giving Wood a bit of space to play. But one thing that I think Wood is, has really improved in this season, and we saw it in the odd game last season. I remember Bournemouth away, he did a really good job on Chris Metham. Um, but he's what he's been doing consistently this season is is that sort of dirty work off the ball, beating up the centre halves, winning the headers. His back to goal plays improved a lot this season, I think, um, and it's starting to show, um, you know, in the consistency of his performances. He's always been a someone who can chip in with goals. I think he's always been a little bit of a streaky player in in that he'll go maybe four or five games without scoring, and then he'll get three or four on the bounce. We've seen that in previous seasons as well. But I know last season especially he was quite a slow starter. I know he got a couple in Europe, but I think it was end of October at West Ham before he actually scored in the league last season. So to to have four already at this point is uh, is an improvement on that. And uh, yeah, on Saturday he was he was man of the match for me. He he, uh, he didn't give those two centre halves a moment's peace. I think uh, the the Turkish chap. Uh, who plays centre half for Leicester? I think is it Sonyuku. Uh, he was quite lucky to avoid a yellow card for for bringing Wood down. Um, obviously, he got the goal. Like you say, he was unlucky with that one in the first half as well. He anticipated it well, um, and obviously the uh, the disallowed goal as well. He was really unlucky with. So yeah, uh, I think I wonder if maybe Barnes um, not playing as well has allowed him to step up a little bit in that just in that particular performance because we really saw him leading the line in a way that maybe he doesn't have to when Barnes is on the pitch with him. So. Uh, that was really encouraging to see as well that he has got that in his locker and he could step up and do that. So, yeah, fantastic. Definitely one of our best performers so far this season for me. Absolutely. I wouldn't disagree with that at all. And I think it's quite interesting to see what the pundits' view of Wood and Barnes is. And I've seen quite a few references to it being one or the other and, and, and almost saying that it's a massive strength of Burnley's in that it doesn't matter if one of them's having an off day because the other one will step up. And the first five games of the season when Wood was a little bit slow off the mark, Barnes was on fine. He was the one everyone was talking about and get him in the England squad. And now Barnes has had a couple of, of, of drier games and also has now pulled that injury as well. Um, Wood's really, really shining. But I, for me, I just think 
the relationship that they've formed between each other has got to be playing a huge part in that because they are understanding each other's games. They are creating opportunities and you don't see them tripping over each other like you maybe did when this relationship first formed. Um, They're creating space that they didn't have before. They're not fighting for the same spot. They're not going for the same ball. Um, And they know where the other one's going to be. And I think that makes a huge difference to our creativity. And and also gives defenders a bit of a headache. If if defenders um, only have to be in one spot because they're both of them going to the same area of the penalty box, then it just makes it easier for them to defend. open up that box and, and force the defenders to be looking at all angles to try and see who they're supposed to mark and, and do that combination of zonal marking and man marking. It just makes it tougher and it just creates chances for us. And, and I, Tom, I agree with you. That's, I think, something that we're doing this season better than we have done in previous seasons. And it's Deitch talks, doesn't he, about the small steps and the learning curves that you go into each season. And I think that ability to just be a bit more... Um, sophisticated in the box whether it's direct chances or just keeping possession there and keeping the pressure on the defenders is something we've hugely improved on um so tom on the opposite end um away from strikers and back to defenders um very weirdly i thought our defense generally speaking had a good game at the weekend apart from (laughs) the two goals that we conceded um the first one uh, is frustrating for so many levels I think Vardy gets the better of Ben Mee um climbs onto him and just gets ahead of where he shouldn't be able to and Ben's usually quite good at stopping those but also I think the very late nature of the goal how many times have we seen this Claret side either just before the whistle blows for half time or right at the end of the games and you just you want to scream at them don't you Tom to try and keep that concentration until half time yeah, it had a massive impact on the mood in the stadium as well. I think Leicester getting that goal when they did. Um, I wouldn't say there were sort of mumblings and frustrations, but the uh, there was in the home end. But there was a, a, a momentum that was picking up with us. I think the away the awaying was getting more and more boisterous. Uh, he had Vardy uh, slamming that shot into the side net in a few minutes before he scored, and uh, a little bit of frustration was creeping in on his part as well. He had the taunts from the away end about the. Uh, the social media postings of his wife, um, and it sort of felt like we were going to go into the into the halftime break riding on the crest of the wave, and uh, yeah, it was a really bad time to lose that bit of focus, um, and it put all the momentum back with Leicester going into the second half. And I think you saw for the first twenty twenty five minutes of the second half, we struggled to get a kick. Now I think probably if, if we hadn't let that equaliser in, we perhaps would have come out defensive in the first twenty twenty five minutes anyway. But uh, you, you prefer that to be back to the wall defending a goal lead as opposed to being one apiece and with the momentum taken away from you. So, yeah, the uh, the point at which the goal arrived, uh, it did have a big impact on the game, I think. Absolutely. You know, we, we managed to keep that at 1-0 and just managed to regroup in the second half. And I think everybody's team talk is different at half-time. And that said, we do seem to, to struggle a little bit in the first 10 minutes of the second half. But... You just want to be able to to go in there with that lead intact and and just think about how you're going to approach that second half. So it's it is disappointing from that um, perspective. I think. How do we feel? The second goal, I, th- I think, is probably worse than the first. Tom, I keep tying it up. I think. I just think the whole defence for the second goal. Um, 
I mean, Timmons had just so much space. And even when you look at it the first time as well, you, you, you look at it and you think, oh, God, is Pope actually being a little bit static there as well? But I just, I'm not sure he can do anything about it. And, and it just, it felt to me like there was a collective lack of concentration for the second goal that I think was maybe more disappointing than the first. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think so. I think um, the frustration with these goals that come from crosses is we, we know we've seen over the years that um, the way the team is set up is to allow teams to put balls in the box and then defend them when they come in. So it's hard to get too frustrated when we don't stop the cross or when we haven't got the winger doubling up with the fullback to close the cross down because we know from experience that we're not always going to do that or the players aren't always told to do that. They're told to to sort of stand off a little bit and let the crosses come in and defend them when they come in. But if you're going to be told to do that, then you have to defend them better than than we, we did do on Saturday. I think for the first one, I think you already alluded to it, Ben Mee, you shouldn't be losing to Jamie Vardy in the air. I think Vardy's just read the ball a lot better than him. He's caught me on his on his heels and he's he's made the jump and he's, uh, he's, he's given Pope no chance. The second one, I think the frustration for me, and it, it's similar to the goal at Villa, and that was another another game where we've let two crosses come into the box and, and two goals conceded from them. Uh, for me, the second goal at Villa, um, Peter's got a lot of criticism for being beaten on the right and letting the cross come in. But for me, Loughton was uh, was asleep a little bit at the back post. He, he let the he let McGinn drift in um, to score for two one for that goal. And I, I, I personally, I thought Loughton was the man who was at fault for this goal as well. And I know they've managed to get the the crossover when perhaps they shouldn't have. But for me, it was a good bit of play on the right. And sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say, you know, they've done well there. It's a good a good ball around the corner, and it's a good ball back from Gray. It's a clever ball as well. He doesn't just put it across the face of goal. He picks a man out. For me, though, uh, Tielemans, he's got that space. And again, I think Loughton's perhaps lost his man a little bit at the back post. But he has two touches, Tielemans, before he puts he gets the shot away. And it allows him to pick his spot. I mean, it's a great finish. He slams it in off the crossbar. I don't think Pope's got a chance. But for me, Loughton, um, he stands with his hands behind his back. For me, he should be running out to Tielemans because he's had two touches. And I think if Loughton goes out to the man and slides in, he blocks the shot for me. And I think because he's standing there with his arms behind his back, he lets Tielemar have that extra touch. He lets him pick his spot. And from then, there's no chance of blocking it. There's no chance of saving it. So that was the disappointment for that goal for me. Not so much what was happening out wide, but it's when the ball comes into the box. And it's something that, you know, if, we, if we're going to keep conceding, you know, two goals a game from crosses like that in the away games, then uh, perhaps it needs a bit of a rethink as to how we defend those or perhaps a bit of a rethink in terms of the personnel. But... Uh, yeah, for, uh, you can say everyone sort of lost concentration to a, to a degree, but for me, like the centre halves, they've got to stick with their men in the middle. For me, the faults with the fact that Loughton's let his man come in at the back post, and if he, fair enough, if he gets that touch, um, but you've got to come out a bit quicker for me as well. So for me, it wasn't so much collective. I think Loughton was the man to blame in that instance. Poor Matty Lawton feeling the wrath of Tom Whitaker's disappointment there. Goodness me, Tom, you're, you're picking on that poor man. I was trying to be nice there and say, yeah, yeah, collectively they all need to do better. But Tom's like, no, Matt Lawton, you must do better. Um, good stuff. Okay, so the final part of our analysis from the Leicester game at the weekend is, of course, the equaliser that never was. 
VAR, how many times this season is our talking point in the podcast going to be some VAR controversy? Now, generally speaking, I've said this before, I'm still of the opinion that VAR for the objective decisions, i.e. offside or mistaken identity, is working really, really well. Um, we may not like the fact that somebody's big tall, if somebody wears a size nine and somebody else wears a size seven, they're going to be offside by virtue of having bigger feet um, is, uh, is a problem. But at least we're getting some consistency of decisions. For me, coming into the second, and obviously coming back after the second international break, VAR is now worse than it was at the beginning. I think at the start of the season, there was an element of patience with it. There was some um, willingness to let them iron out any wrinkles. But it's getting to the point now where it's turning into an absolute farce, a vase, if you would. Um, And this weekend, again, we had numerous, numerous incidents. Um, Paul Watford at conceded a late equaliser against Spurs and Deli Ali clearly handled the ball but no we're not going to overrule that because that's not a clear and obvious error there were issues in the United Liverpool game and it's just getting to the point where we are simply discussing incorrect VAR decisions rather than incorrect referee decisions so nothing has changed and the Premier League are under a huge amount of pressure here because this is the greatest domestic competition in the world and it needs world-class officiating and VAR is making a mockery of it. That said um, it's always going to feel worse when you're at the back end of one of those stories. Um, Tom, We have seen it a million times. I still can't understand how the hell we didn't get that equaliser. I'm always willing to look at the opposing manager's reaction. And it said a lot to me that Brendan Rodgers wouldn't be drawn on this in his post-match interview. And he kind of said, well, sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. You know, we didn't get one a couple of weeks ago. Today it's fallen for us. Without saying it out and clearly he obviously thought that they were very lucky there uh yeah um i I think by any stretch of the definition of clear and obvious that was not uh, a refereeing decision that was clearly and obviously incorrect i think uh, to look at it from the perspective i know we've spoken a bit before on the program about um how it is to be a fan in the stadium when the VAR decisions made Uh, and it was probably the worst experience i've had in terms of knowing what's going on um, obviously the goal was down the far end from where the away end is, so the goal in inverted commas was, was down the far end. So initially we saw the ball go in the net, um, Chris Wood wheels away. Now he did, to me, he did look a little bit like he thought something might be coming because he wasn't going mad, he wasn't uh, running about. I did wonder about his reaction and then you see John Moss eventually about 10 minutes after the ball's in the net catches up with play. Um, and you see him signal and it was taking a long time and I was thinking the longer it's going on the more you're thinking in the away end well obviously something's happening here Um, we didn't have a clue what what it was going to be VAR or disallowed for my assumption was from the way that the ball had gone in obviously Wood has the first shot Schmeichel comes out really quick and makes a really good save and then the ball hits Wood and eventually goes in I'd assumed that it hit his hand or hit his arm and gone in because I know that um, as we saw with the Mane goal on on Sunday, if it hits your arm, it doesn't matter whether it's deliberate or not. It's disallowed now. And at least there's consistency and there's no ambiguity with that rule. Um, 
So I, when eventually it was disallowed, um, I assumed uh, it must have hit his hand, uh, therefore it's been disallowed under the rules. You can't really complain about that. They showed one very quick replay of it on the big screen, and it was the side on angle, and it was the one, where, you'll know the one that I mean when I say it, it's the one where you can see clearly see that Johnny Evans kicks himself in the back of his leg to, to fall over. Yeah. Um, so they showed that angle in the stadium, and uh, obviously you can't see anything hitting Wood's hand on there. Um, I just assumed it showed the wrong angle, but obviously it transpires that it, it didn't hit his hand. Um, and coming out the ground, you've got all the texts and all the tweets saying, oh, we've just been robbed there. We've, you know, it was it was the wrong decision. And eventually when I did see it back and, and found out that it was for a, a trip, it, I mean, I don't know how many times they must have had to watch that to see the contact. And eventually you do see that when the ball's sort of on its way into the net already, Wood's foot does catch Evans' foot. Um, but, I mean, when you see the threshold that they've been using, and I think you're right, in terms of the objective de- decisions, you may not like it, but at least there's consistency there. That's the big word. In terms of the things that they are or are not overturning, it just seems completely arbitrary. Uh, and like some of the examples from Saturday, like the, the Villa goal that got disallowed because the sent forwards breathed on the goalkeeper when they've both gone for the ball. How is that being disallowed? Uh, unbelievable. And and some of the penalties that weren't given, uh, the the Watford one, Dale Fay just gets taken out. And it's like, if that isn't clear and obvious, then th- what what could be more clear and obvious than that decision? So you, you see decisions like that not being made or being made for for something that's nothing, you know, absolutely incomparable amount of contact or in, incomparable in terms of how obvious the decisions are. And it, it really is so frustrating. And there has to be a major rethink of of how they're using, how they're using the technology in these situations because... The, the the point of bringing it in was supposed to be to get some consistency across the board to eliminate these decisions that fans in the stadium or fans at home are, are watching and seeing are clearly wrong and the ones that the some of the ones that are given like the the Katrina one for Wolves exactly where he's, he's he's got half his boot offside fine right decision but that it wasn't brought in because people are complaining about decisions like that it was brought in because people are complaining about decisions like the, the DLFA one on Saturday and it certainly wasn't brought in for decisions like the goal that we've had disallowed so yeah it really is frustrating and i think i can you can almost understand why the decision is made i think john Martin is so so far behind the players so often is whenever he's refereeing again that he probably can't make a decision either way and that's why he's perhaps decided to let it go for now and defer to the var why he can't uh you know eventually walk over to the touchline and look at the screen on the side i don't know perhaps he, he wasn't brave enough to make the decision himself but the in terms of the decision itself, I can sort of see why they've given it if they've seen that angle. That I think the one they show match the day where the camera's behind Wood and Evans. You do see him catch his foot and Evans goes down. But then you, when you see the angle I spoke about before, Evans, he's kicked himself in the back of the leg because he knows he's not going to get that ball. And you know, if I go down here, then there's maybe a chance that it'll be overturned. Uh, you know, it's it's cynical. And the fact that, that whoever was watching on screen can look at that and say, yeah, clearly and obviously Wood is straight Evans and stops him being able to get that ball. I, I, the mind boggles us that we can reach that decision, and, and the fact that there doesn't seem to be any sort of high bar for overturning that goal, or goal in general, speaking, going back to the Aston Villa one that was disallowed, but and yet there is such a high bar to give penalties. It, it's almost as if the VAR is being used not to try and facilitate goal being scored and facilitate correct decisions. It's almost as if they start they're starting with an incident and saying, "What 
excuses can we come up with to disallow this? And that, that shouldn't be the mentality that's been useful. And that's that's what's really frustrating, I think. If there was some consistency in the way that those decisions are being reached, or if there was uh, if there was the, the, the um, emphasis was on trying to make sure goals are given when they should be, rather than trying to stop goals being given, then it, perhaps it would be a bit easier to take. But really, I think, and even if you, if you even if you say, yeah, there was a bit of contact from John Evans, I really don't think the VAR should be being used in that in situation. Or really, I don't think the ref BB being overturned in that in that situation. No, and I think that's where I wanted to pick up on you on this one. I I, I kind of didn't want to interrupt you then because you were in full flow, and I was like, oh, I hardly stopped for breath. That was amazing. I was like, Tom is nailing this. Um, but I think there are two levels of this decision at the weekend for me. Um, number one is the initial contact a foul. Um, the answer for me is absolutely not. I just don't see how that is ever a foul. And secondly, if even if it is determined that it is a foul, does that foul stop Evans from getting that ball and clearing it on the line? And I just don't think it does. He, I just don't think it's a foul anyway. And and he's never getting there. The ball is almost across the line at the point that the contact is made. And I think that a couple of points that I think you made very well in that section then. Number one, there's this, well, the, the assumption that well, the position that they come to where it says, what can we do to disallow this goal is is a ridiculous, and you're absolutely right. That cannot be the benchmark that they are living by here. Secondly, there is now a new tactic being employed by, well, the, the pundits like to call them clever play, don't they, which is a code for just cheating and manipulating the rules, essentially. But there is an opportunity here with the new handball rules. Strikers don't even need to go into a box anymore and try and actually score a goal. They either just kick it at somebody's hand and they get a penalty or they just dive over and invite the slightest bit of contact. And it has to be a penalty because that's the new game. But interestingly, like you say, Evans has absolutely gone down there. You can tell it's not a natural fall. He takes a step and then goes, oh, and falls over. And I'm absolutely convinced in his mindset, he knew that if he fell over, over there he could have a chance that he could get that goal disallowed for his for, for, and, and save his, his side three points and I think it's uh, two points sorry and I think that is wrong because VAR was supposed to bring fairness to the game and consistency and it's and now enabling players to manipulate that scenario to play unfairly and to and to win points that they've got no business winning um the other point that you mentioned, which was the second half that I wanted to talk about, was this question about why John Moss did not consult the screen. And I've been looking at this over since the weekend to try and find out what the problem is, because so far yet it's just not being used in the Premier League. And apparently a lot of this is down to um, the, I think it is the Professional Game Match Officials Limited, who are the governing body who deal with the referees and, and VAR, they're managing that. And whilst they are acknowledging that the referees can, if they want, go and have a look at a screen off the side of the pitch, they are not forcing them to do that because what they're saying is is that there has to be a balance between the um, fairness in the game but also not impacting on the speed and the flow of the game now that to me suggests that the entertainment factor not slowing down the game is more important than the actual fairness of it they believe that it's going to take at least 90 seconds for a referee to go and check it but at the weekend Tom you were at the ground if John Moss had gone to the side of that uh, pitch and looked at that for himself you wouldn't have cared if it was 90 seconds that he was reviewing that because to me I think I would feel more comfortable with a referee looking again and 
either affirming his own decision or changing his mind than somebody sat in Milton Keynes who's got no who's just looking at this on a on a screen I don't know that to me feels a bit better if if you're allowing the referees to take ownership of their own decisions yeah I can understand the you know the not wanting to take you know sometimes when we saw it in the World Cup when it was first brought in for example it was taking two three minutes to reach decisions and it, it did get slightly farcical um it's not as if it's rapid anyway. I mean, it probably took a good minute to disallow it to start with. So it's not as if the flow of the game hasn't already been disrupted and interrupted by, you know, by VAR regardless. I think, so I'm not saying use the screen every time and, and the ref needs to see every incident. If there's one that that's clear, like, for example, the Mane one on Sunday, uh, it, you know, it's clearly handball. We don't need to get someone over to the side of the pitch for someone to tell the ref that that's handball and it should be disallowed. Fine. But I think what, what the other thing that's really frustrating, I mean, Moss is so far behind the play when when the goal goes in that there's no way that he could have given an, a decision one way or the other on the initial one. So essentially, uh, I think he's he's just abdicated himself of the responsibility and, and allowed the VAR checking the uh, referee um, to to make the decision for him. But surely, I mean, as we've said already, there's no way that the, the that, that VAR referee could have sat, watched that and said, that's clearly a foul because it's not clear. Um, and there's angles where you can see the contact and there's other angles where it very much looks like a dive. So you'd think in that situation... If Moss hasn't seen the original one, and unless he's got the eyesight of an eagle, he hasn't seen it because he's, as I say, so far behind the play. You think if he's not seen the initial one, and you know, if surely the VAR official can't be telling him, yeah, hundred percent, it's uh, a foul, and, and he'd be crazy not to overrule it. Surely in that situation, he'd want to have a second look. And surely, if there's any sort of appropriate time to be using that second screen, that's when it is. So that was, uh, yeah. And if it had taken another minute. And we and we got the right decision out of it, then you couldn't have complained. And I very much doubt had that goal been given, there'd be any Leicester City fans who were complaining and saying how hard done by they were, because you know they they've got away with one. So, to, yeah, I mean, it's in principle. Then you know, the saying let's have a high bar and not use it too often, and let's not waste more time with the screen. It's noble, but if you don't want to. If you if you don't want to overturn decisions and you don't want to impact on the flow and take time then why bring it in in the first place? Absolutely. I could not have said that better myself. All I've been whinging about to my other half, to Mr B since Saturday, is why, why have they brought the AR in? If fairness, if, if entertainment's more important than fairness, if they're not prepared to use it for what it's, it's been um, brought in for, what is the point of having it? And I just, I'm sick of having to talk about this every single week and talking about VAR decisions that have not gone right. Um <sighs> I don't I just I don't know what the answer is and I'm I'm finding myself really frustrated with this and I don't I don't know what else to say other than the arguments that you guys have heard me say over and over again about this it it needs to change and and it, do you know what do you know what even got me even Sky Sports said that we'd been absolutely shafted and when Sky are on Burnley's side and actually starting a crusade for Burnley, then you know that something has gone wrong. Um, but listen, guys, what did you think? Um, is there anybody out there who actually thought it was completely the correct decision and that we were we shouldn't have got that goal? Um, or is there anybody out there who knows 
what they think they'd like to see from VAR. Keep the discussion going. You know how to get in touch with us. You can tweet us at no Nay never, or you can send us an email at podcast at net. That is all we have time for this week. Guys, I'm sorry that it has been dominated once again by the VARS that is VAR. Um, we have a podcast title there, I think. Um, but unfortunately, that's what it is. And it's it hurts at any point. But when it's um, a, a justified equaliser, a really hard-earned equaliser away from home with just 10 minutes to go on the clock, when you know Burnley have the ability to see out that game, um, then you know that it's going to sting. And I think it's it's got to it's got to change because... We can't have a situation here where it's we've got something that's designed to bring fairness to the game that is doing anything but. So let us know what you think. Uh, my thanks this week go to Tom Whitaker and his glorious, wonderful monologues about VAR and all things Claret and Blue. It's always a pleasure. It's always quite an easy podcast when Tom's on as well because I can just sit back and press mute and let him let him go on his little crusades. I love it. Um, thanks to producer Matt for editing and putting together this uh, podcast this week. Thanks to band Joyce who provide our music. But finally, thanks to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this episode. Your support is hugely appreciated and we would not be here without you. I will be back on Friday with the preview show where we're looking at Chelsea at home. Frank Frank Lampard's Chelsea is coming to Turf Moor at the weekend for the Saturday night game live on Sky Sports. And Dave and I will be um, looking at all the stats ahead of that game in the preview show. And myself and the team will be back this time next week to look at what happened against Chelsea and hopefully talk about three lovely home points. And you never know, a VAR decision may very well go for us. Um, I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Non and Never podcast. Until next time. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.